Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. Let's hope we still have a few faithful left after our recent uh, trials and tribulations with the uh, technology here. We're trying to clean up this mess, and that's, we're doing an extra podcast tonight to get something clean back in the top of our uh, of our uh, menu again. As many of you know, we've been trying out live podcasting and using, and it seems like the, the we just can't get enough internet to run the program on either mm-hmm. of our computers. And it was leading to horrible problems, which we greatly embarrassed and frustrated us. And yep. um, so we're just, we're going to give up on it for now. Go back to Skype. Uh, and uh, hopefully this will be much cleaner for everyone listening. And uh, hopefully Bruce will turn off his phone. There he goes. (laughs) I got my phone in my pocket too. It's going to ring any second. So then you can scold me. (laughs) Uh, So, so uh, fortunately there's plenty of talk about talk Mm. to talk about. We, we, you know, our podcast was at the absolutely worst quality when you wanted it to be the best, you know, uh, in the playoffs, but not to be, but here we go. Here we go. And the first thing we're going to talk about, Bruce, there's a number of, um, this may surprise you, Bruce, but the same people who could, when, when Connor McDavid was drafted to Edmonton and who had the astonishing ability of reading his facial expressions and being able to divine from his facial expressions, his innermost thoughts. These are quite extraordinary mm-hmm. people, Toronto sports writers, and they, they are now um, making other claims about Connor McDavid. They don't read his mind anymore, but they are they are kind of ordering him around. They're telling him what to do because they are, you know, they have such wisdom that they can tell Connor Mc they know what's best for Connor McDavid because they are uh sports writers in Toronto. So this is from Cathal Cathal Kelly of the Globe and Mail. Oh. The guy who hated Edmonton uh, what talked about what an ugly city Edmonton was based on his his drive from uh the airport to uh, uh, downtown hotel. Yeah. And a taxi. That guy. Yeah. Cathal, my boy, or Cathal, or Kathy uh-huh. for short, or whatever his name is. If McDavid wants out of Edmonton, it's on him to make that happen. He should do that. He'd be doing everyone involved a favor. <laughs> but nothing has to happen. As long as they have the best player in the known galaxy, the Oilers can continue being operatic failures. People will still pay to see him play. Maybe becoming the new Marcel Dion and making eight figures is enough for McDavid. Let's hope so, because that's where he's headed. This guy's from Toronto? (laughs) Exactly. That has won zero playoff series in the entire (laughs) cap era? Police. Well, they're full of themselves. They're riding high now, they're Bruce. Full of something. They're ri- They're riding high now because they've won three playoff games in their. Well, uh, maybe they'll even win a series this year. Well, that's fantastic. Oilers have only won four playoff series in the cap area, and that's four more than Toronto has won. So he wants to talk about this being a place of failure. Connor McDavid's won the playoff series. How many of their guys have? And almost, you know, I mean, well, they they almost for other teams. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, just kind of, uh, whatever. Where the sun don't shine, Cathal. 
Toronto has lots of great people, Bruce, and Maple Leaf. There's mm-hmm. lots of oh, great sure. Maple Leaf fans. There's also uh, evidently there's some dimwits in Toronto as well, and maybe um, a horse's ass or two mixed in there, <laughs> David. <laughs> the new Marcel Dion. Uh, so the, the suggestion seems to be in Edmonton, it's all about making the money and nobody cares about winning. And, and I don't know what, what he's getting at here, but anyway, uh, anyway, as for his prediction about McDavid, uh, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see how that plays out. Sometimes it takes a while for a really crappy team like the Oilers were to rebuild. It took a long time for the Pittsburgh Penguins in a, in an area, in an era where it was actually easier, I, I'm going to suggest to, to build. Uh, in some ways, because you could retain all your good players. Now, the orders haven't really faced that yet. But it took Lemieux's Penguins a long time to get good. It was in his seventh year that they finally won a cup. His sixth and, year, which is equivalent to McDavid, where McDavid is now, the Penguins missed the playoffs. In a 21-team uh, league, where yeah. 16 of the 21 well, teams the, made the playoffs, the, did they in not? In the six-team Norris division, where the four, top four made it. To be fair, that he was in the biggest division, the only division that had six teams. And that was a very stacked division. The Norris division always had good teams with the Flyers and the Rangers and the, and the Caps of that era and the Islanders, of course. So it was pretty tough to get in there. But uh, um, I guess by 1990, the Islanders were out of it. But that was always a strong, strong division. So the toughest. But you think with the great Mary Lemieux on their team, plus some of the other stars they had by 1990, like Paul Coffey, They'd be walking to the playoffs, and guess what? They weren't there yet. Just took them an extra year or two longer than anybody thought. And Lemieux, Lemieux sure took a lot of heat during that time as well. What What amazes me, Bruce, is this: someone, a sports writer who knows mm-hmm. nothing what it's like to be Connor McDavid or anything about Connor McDavid, probably saying he should do that. You know, he should be asking. He should make it happen. He should force it out. That takes a lot of that takes a lot of chutzpah. Gall? That's a nice gall. Chutzpah is a nice My way of putting it. My mom would say gall. Yeah, it takes a lot of gall. Like, what the hell do you know, Cathal Kelly? You don't know anything about him. Oh. You're just you're just speaking out of your butt. And and here here's the here's the fact. It it is a free world, and we people are free to go wherever they want. They have mm-hmm. commitments though to their friends, their family, and their employee contractual obligations to their employer mm-hmm. but they are free to go where they want and and i'm okay you know in the in this modern nhl with the way the rules are set out if at the end of his contract Connor mcdavid said hey i want to sign elsewhere I, i'm not going to be that guy who's going to oh that's he's betraying the city he shouldn't do that he's a he's he, based on the rules of his business at that point he'll be free to go where he wants to go and that may happen it also may happen in toronto with austin matthews so, and if Austin Matthews wants to exercise that right to go to Arizona in a few years, more power to him. This is the way it's set up. What we do know about McDavid, what, what we see and what he says is he's, he's this incredible conscientious person, puts a lot of pressure on himself. You can see the defeats are in fact eating him up. Um, and um, that's, that's clear from everything about the guy and, and from things that he says, actually says. Mm-hmm. And, but there is a tremendous amount of, and he, he addressed this today, how he thinks they're turning in the right uh, direction. He's also very tight with Dreisaitl and Nurse, these yeah. three players. They're building mm-hmm. something together. Mm-hmm. It's significant. What we're looking for in life, all of us, I think, is something, some, signif- some significance. And 
he these guys have something going on together. It's pretty clear. They want to build something in Edmonton. They want mm-hmm. to raise this team up. If just for their own, you know, just doing it together, this, you know, their band of merry men. And I think he's dedicated to that. That I mean, everything he's ever said indicates that. Not that he's secretly itching to get out of Edmonton, like Toronto sports writers seem to suggest. And this includes the wonderful Sid Sexiero. Sexiero, yeah. Sexiero. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of TSN. I guess he's now on breakfast television. I do not. And he, he his, was on the Tim and Sid show for years. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, the score. He's, uh, he's from the score background. And okay. I, uh, like, Sportsnet 360 now. So I apologize for mispronouncing your name, Sid. Uh, not, uh, his quote I is, don't think I got it right either. <laughs> Sexiero? Sexiero. 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 Okay. Connor McDavid's, his quote is, Connor McDavid's not going to put up with this much longer. So I guess Sid is, he's, he's, he can read his mind. Like he's engaged in mind. Like he can, he knows what Connor McDavid wants and thinks, and he's telling us now. So there you have it. Well, here's a, here's a sports caster for you. Who's actually engaged and knows, uh, um, uh, Connor McDavid. And that is the estimable Ryan Rashog, the, uh, sports bureau chief of, uh, of, um, TSN locally here in Edmonton. And he says, an excellent and engaged Connor McDavid in his year-end Zoom call. Very honest about his feelings on the team, his leadership, room for growth in his game, and the disappointment. Made it clear he's not looking to go anywhere and wants to see it through here with this group. What are the chances Cathal Kelly and Sid Cicero are watching this Zoom call? Or maybe exactly. they did, and they educated themselves after they said the stupid stuff they said. Uh, exactly, Bruce. We're going to move on quickly from that let's, and talk let's, about. Oh. <laughs> let's talk about. We're going to go through. We're going to do a series of podcasts in the next couple of days, um, where we go through the Oilers' performance in the playoffs, and we kind of before this is all forgotten. And we're just what I want. What, I want you to do. What I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm going to try to do myself, is not to think of these players outside of their playoff performance. Right. But just think about their playoff performance and, and just yeah. rate them on what we saw in those four games, um, which is difficult to do because we have all these impressions of these players. Oh, sure. Today, we'll start with the we'll start with the forwards, Bruce. And we're before we get to the good stuff, which is the centers, because um, there were some pretty strong performances from various centers. I'm going to suggest we will start with the wingers. And you know, we as people know who listen to this podcast, we go over the group grade a scoring chances we think that's an important thing in the game i think it's the heart of the game the 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 thing that separates the good teams from the bad teams is generating scoring chances and defending them and um it was pretty even in this series overall uh between the two teams but there was one area where it struck me that the oilers just really were lacking and i think the numbers back this up is on the wings mm-hmm. uh bruce this team um it does still after all these years have a problem on the wings getting production from these wingers now that could change in the future but if we're just going on these four games there wasn't one winger there wasn't one who really stepped up i'm going to suggest you really took hold in this playoffs and made a statement that that they're a uh, a top winger in the nhl and that includes yesapuli who showed flashes and who was good 
but that's my overall comment. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm going to gainsay you on a, a technicality. The minute that he moved from center to left wing, Leon Dreisaitl uh, w- w- upgraded the Oilers group of wingers by a fantastic margin. But, of course, we're going to consider him under the centers. But Leon mostly played wing in this series. If you want to focus just on the series, Leon played uh, three and basically three and a quarter games with uh, McDavid. I'm Bruce, I'm going to gainsay your gainsay. Okay, go for it. And suggest that when McDavid and Drysaddle are together, yeah. the center is in the in the defensive zone is often the winger that they're playing with. The other winger. Okay. That who is the center? I mean, who takes most of the faceoffs when they're together? Who plays the center? Who plays the who who's the who's back who's the first forward back usually or who's usually covering the defensive slot when they're together? I don't think I, I think that, that they share it. And it's mm-hmm. often kind of a confused partnership and sharing it so i don't oh, okay he well, moves the, there i'm gonna say he's still a center because he, okay. he is then kind mcdavid of, then mcdavid upgraded the wingers <laughs> by a lot <laughs> you gainsayed my gain said that i gainsayed you on all right i'll give you that <laughs> you gainsayer the, the horizontal deployment of mcdavid dry saddle uh solves the wing problem to an extent and it creates a big bigger problem at center but i think we should just consider them both as centers. They're certainly in class of themselves. So, and that's the right. Them, the rest yeah. of them, you're right. I mean, uh, we had uh, uh, one goal from Zach Cassian, one goal from Yarvi, one from RNH, one on the power play from Alex Jason, and uh, RNH. I think he he was playing center Smart at the time. center. Correct. Yeah. So, anyway, and, and Drysaddle, he got. He got two and McDavid won when they were playing together. So at least one of those was scored by a winger. And all the rest after that, Yamamoto, Zero, Shore, Neil, Archibald, Ennis, Cahoon, all wingers, all of them with zero goals, most of them with zero points. How about this? When we go through the wingers here, we'll, we'll try to answer a question. Did they improve based on their playoff performance, did they improve their chances of getting a contract or earning a spot on the team next year, or earning a spot higher up in the lineup for some players? Some of them are under contract, right? So, but that, that'll be the question to answer. Let's start with, um, well, let's just start with Yesa Pugliarvi. How, mm-hmm. how would you rate his play, Bruce? Overall, pretty good. I like I liked his game. I, I thought he was, uh, I think he's really starting to feel his oats, you know, like, He's, he's, he's looking confident, like, I belong in this league. I can play with these guys. In fact, I can outplay these guys. And he's he's um, he's skating well. He's skating well with the puck. He's really engaging on the physical side in the battles and, and in the battles for possession and for position in front of the net. Uh, he's um, uh, defensively, um, he's still learning, I'll say, but he makes good plays. And you know when he's in the right spot, he you know he he's a good defender, and, and uh, it's a matter of reading the play, and that's that's still like I say a work in progress. Uh, but he made huge strides this year, and and I, uh, he, he did nothing to to um, uh, take a detour from that in the postseason at all. I liked him on uh, right wing, and for me, for much of the series, he was Edmonton's third best forward. I will, I will agree with that, although the gap is huge, of course, yeah. between oh, the, yeah. the top no two one. and the next one. So, yeah, I he was part of the, you know, on the plus side, he scored a great rebound goal. Um, mm. That was game one. And um, he, 
I thought also in the overtime, as the overtime went along, I was thinking, hey, there's a few players who look like they might score. Yes, a he is definitely on that list. The way he was charging in there and handling the puck, making plays behind the net, using his size. He's getting it together. He's coming on. So, like, you know, so he's somewhere on the, in the spectrum between, uh, you know, the bottom end is kind of like a, 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 Willie, a bigger version of Willie Lindstrom. And then <laughs> at the top end, um, you know, Blake Wheeler, I guess. It, That's it, a nice a player at both ends. Yeah. Both both ends. So I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a good player. Willie Lindstrom was a good second line winger sure, in the right. NHL for a few years with Messier and Anderson, decent hockey player, and you know Blake Wheeler's a top line winger. So he's coming. Like he's he's taken a step, and um, he was part of the general defensive composure meltdown in Game Three where he. You know, it's like Cuckoo in game four. They over Both of them ha- had a moment where they overreacted to the guy with the puck and mm-hmm. spun out of control. <laughs> Instead of just staying in front of them, they both went for a more dramatic play and they, they mm-hmm. just they didn't stop and start on the puck. And Pugliarvi was really responsible in a big way for Morrissey's goal in game three, which was a pretty ugly moment. So he's he's got some growing to do on yep. defense. He's got some growing to do on the attack. But yeah, it was... Yep. It, it was really, I'm going to say, I agree with you. He really took a step up uh, in terms of his, in terms of my impression of him, because you want to see him do that in the playoff situation. And he did it. He was every bit as good in the playoffs as he was in some games in the regular season, but it's still kind of, he's, there's some inconsistency, which I think is a confidence issue. We saw now, we, this is a little tough one because they were talking on hockey night in Canada about McDavid kind of reaming him out and not wanting to like, cause he missed a pass to McDavid on the fly and then saying, I don't want to play on the line with this guy. They were pretty sure on hockey night in Canada that, that they knew what they were talking about. I'm a little less sure. I don't know how mm-hmm. they knew that it, it, it could be the case. They could have nailed that, but maybe they were engaged in a little guessing game there as well. Well, somebody I, I, whose opinion I respect said they saw a different angle of McDavid shouting down the bench and actually Pugliarvi was leaning forward and it looked like McDavid was talking behind him towards someone else. To Gullitson, coach. coach. Or, yeah, to yeah. coach. That's what it looked like to okay. me. Okay, well. But he, he might have been saying, coach, he, take him off my line. Like, who knows? I don't know. He might have also said, bring me the Gatorade. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, what? he was visibly, I actually didn't like this from McDavid right at the time when the pass came in his feet, he kind of did the uh, sort of gesticulation stuff like he was, this isn't good enough. And show, that's a soccer move where you throw up, you show up your teammate a little bit when, or it's a, or it's a, uh, a goalie that nobody likes on their team move where they stare down and, and, and single out the guy who's uh, made the mistake. <laughs> Bruce, are you bringing it does up happen the, in sports? I know it does. Are you bringing up the dreaded bad body language? Uh, dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's true though. There's it, it's people. It, there's something to be said for it. It's not total crap. I mean, people make fun of that. Well, you know, if you if that's a criticism of a player, but they, there's some truth to it. You can't have this. Players do sulk, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of success in hockey, at least, or in life. Some people might even say of sucking it up and being stoic and and um, keeping a steady demeanor when things are going rough. So, and letting that stuff roll off you if other exactly. guys are more demonstrative than you you happen to be, you know. Yeah, that's true too. They, you know, they can, you know, 
bark and then it's over, you know, just let it out and communicate you know we need to do that better next time and you know and hopefully nobody's feelings get hurt and they're, they're all being well paid to you know be as good as they can be in their profession so i'm not too worried about it but i noticed it all right moving on to ryan nugent hopkins who scored his goal beautiful goal as a centerman and mm-hmm. uh, played three games on the wing where he was um as unspectacular in the in the playoffs on the wing as he had been in the regular season which was really not spectacular at all so uh, i think he took his value went up based on his last game as center you know that that's going to leave a good impression in everybody's head you know maybe he can be the second line center on this team but I, I i don't think really that the playoffs helped his cause very much at all in fact i think they probably hurt his cause because of he that ineffectual play on the wing he just he wasn't getting it done. He wasn't making scoring plays at even strength. Now, I, I was just, uh, Jonathan Willis ran some stats and over his career, he's not a great even strength scorer. He's at 1.8 points per 60, which is mm-hmm. kind of a borderline second line player, I'll suggest, uh, in the NHL. And uh, borderline second line players in the NHL, uh, but don't get um, six years, $7 million. At the same time, he's been a he's been a very good power player, um, yep. quite a strong power player throughout his career. Yep. So, um, what's your take? Well, unlike Paul Yarvey, who's under contract for another year, this is a guy whose contract has expired. Yeah. And we're of course so we're re- very much at an inflection point of what happens next with uh, Nugent Hopkins. Uh, I thought I didn't mind his play in Game One. I thought he was okay on the. Uh, uh, not necessarily creation of great scoring chances, but just in overall p- play, like he was sharp on the puck, he was winning battles, he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, he was advancing the puck in the right direction at least. And in game three, he was the one oiler, I thought, who raised his game after the comeback when it was 4-4. Four to four. I thought Nuge was about the best of the oilers between 4-4 four, four and the eventual game winner, he had like four shots on net, and they were pretty good shots in that time. He was the one guy that sort of upped the ante and sort of said, we need a goal, I'm going to try and get it. And of course, he didn't get it, but he tried. And then, as you mentioned, game four, he did get that beauty goal where he fired the high shot from outside and, and caused uh, one that the uh, netminder, Connor Helga, couldn't handle. And he jumped on the rebound, controlled it with his skate, kicked it up to his stick, and just made a real nice step around the goalie and roof job off the backhand. That was a real high-end goal uh, that tied the score, too. Very, very big goal at the time, too, of course. But uh, uh, So we saw, I think in that game, I thought throughout the overtime, he was excellent. Like He was committed, he played hard, but there just wasn't much in the way of scoring chances where there was just a lot of, you know, Close. don't give up anything, but don't. Really, I guess I mean the line got a couple chances, but uh, uh, anyway, there there uh, it was a low event kind of overtime. I mean, yeah, there was. Uh, I had one thought about him, Bruce. He did seem to get strong in the overtime, and I was thinking, is is it's maybe it's because he's more like built like a marathon runner. Like I thought, some of the smaller guys seemed to weather it a little bit better, and he seemed. I was thinking, he he might be in the best shape of any of the players out there because he seemed to wilt the least in terms of his speed. He was going fast throughout and he didn't seem to slow down or get winded. 
um, even it was as he was playing long shifts. But again, you know, the I guess the phrase is perimeter player. Um, he really strikes me at this point of his, you know, throughout his career. Like when he's with really good other players, he can cycle the puck and he gets in mm-hmm. the, into the guts of the game and he works with them and he's a give and go player. But the reason he's not a driver is he he can't he doesn't drive through players or or work his way through players and he's not McDavid he's not going to be deking them constantly either. Um, when he gets open ice, he's really dangerous, which is why he's so good on three on three in the power play. Kyler Yamamoto, Bruce, what's your take? Did he add to his value or detract from it in the playoffs specifically? Yeah, yeah, um, that's the question. I, I think marginally he added. I thought he played pretty good, uh, but he didn't produce anything. And his, uh, you know, his, his whatever he had of his offensive game, which was his calling card coming out of junior, you were calling his draft year, he had the most points of any junior player that year in yes. the draft. 99 points he had. He was for the draft, first year draft eligibles, he was top of that list. And he came in, and last year he had 26 points in 27 games. And the feeling was, we got a real live one here. Someone's going to put the puck in the net. Well, that just went away in the second half of the year. And he literally had no, he had one goal, one power play goal that he kind of chipped into the net on a, when he was filling in on the power play for someone who was out. And at even strength, he had zero goals in his final 25 games, and of course zero more in the in the playoffs. And when he did get a chance, a really great chance in overtime of uh, game three, was it? Where he was alone in front and he kind of had a muffin into Halibut. And it's just, he, he's, I've said this more than once this season, he's got to work on his shot. But I wonder if there's not something underlying there that maybe he had a wrist or, you know, something that wasn't quite 100% because he had some time in and out of the lineup. And there was, you know, his his uh, battle level was high, very good, uh, especially in those uh, playoff games. But his ability to make real hard plays with the puck uh, and um, to be really creative with the puck, is, I haven't seen so much of it. There was a goal in the Toronto game tonight where uh, I think it was Galchenyuk for Toronto. He had the puck right on the edge of the crease and... He made a behind-the-back pass to Nylander for the tap, tap in. And I said to my wife, you know, that's the exact goal that uh, Yamamoto set up for Drysaddle last year, where everybody in the world thought he's he's going to make a play on net, and instead he somehow saw the teammate in the open, and he made the behind-the-back pass for the tap in. And there was none of that kind of creative edge in his game, I don't think. Like he was really more just a meat and potatoes, just chase and pursue and battle for the puck guy. And he won a share of battles, and he's got the really good defensive stick. You know, he gets in the lanes. There's lots to like about his game. But the offensive part of it really kind of fell off a cliff, in the, especially the second half of the year. Yeah, I think he, he raised his value slightly because his battle mm-hmm. level, his compete level was very strong in the playoffs. But, the, but again, the results were not there. And it, what does it speak to? We've seen him play with a high level of skill. Uh, he, you know, on the dynamite line, he, Nugent Hopkins and Drysdale combined so well, maybe he just didn't ever have that chemistry with any group of players. Um, though they had the dynamite line together and, and we didn't really see them take off this year. So I just, I think Bruce, um, 
yeah, he's, he's got to, I, my sense is he's got to get stronger. He's got to get more physically powerful and, mm-hmm. um, work on the shot, but, uh, you know, just work on his strength to, mm-hmm. to be able to get, give himself the leverage that he needs to make those plays that he's not quite able to make right now. Cause he's a little too easy to take off the puck and, um, you know, you can work at just work, keep working on it. Like Tippett talked about the need for all these players to improve. Well, Yamamoto's in that group. He's got to get a better shot. He's got to get a little stronger. He's got to get a little faster on his skates, a little bit more agile. Mm-hmm. All of these things have got to happen for him to take the next level as a player. It's going to make the, the it's a little easier to sign him than if he had replicated wow. his season last year, where he was a point yes. of game player. So now he's not looking at three or four or $5 million a year. If, if he had replicated that kind of great run wow. he had last year, so, um, I wish he had done that and oh, but that's not the case. So he's not going to get as much money on his contract. All right. Uh, Dominic. Why do you think they'll sign him to two years? Yeah. I think they should like try to. Ethan, Ethan Bear contract. Yeah. That's about right. Bruce. Two years at 2 million. Is that what Bear got? Two and a half. Yeah. It was it? two. Something like two that. Times two. Yeah. Dominic. Cahoon, who came in with a really good points per game from last year when he was with Buffalo in Pittsburgh. I remember that he, at a at even strength, he had outscored Taylor Hall on a rate basis in 2019-20. Uh, he was at like, I think, 2.3 points per 60, which is a really good second line winger, kind of a, a bottom first line winger in terms of scoring. And we were all hoping that Dominic Cahoon would be able to replicate those results in Edmonton. And what we saw was a very, a player who's very good with the puck, who can really pass it. Um, not a great shooter. And I was a, a, a solid a positional defender who gave his best effort on defense, but not a fast. He's not, I don't think he's fast enough, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what came through to me was he couldn't, he can't really keep up uh, to, to be truly effective on the attack. And maybe, I don't know if he's going to stick in the NHL, Would be my, even though he had that good point scoring over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense is, you know, the, the, the difference between the NHL and the AHL score is often speed. And I, I just see Cahoon right. as that, that, that guy who's oh. going to go to the KHL and put up a point a game. He's going to go yeah. to the Swiss League and lead the league in scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the I don't I don't think he's going to be in the that's, NHL much longer. That's 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 realistic. It's it's funny today I saw on Twitter a uh, feed in German from Der Spiegel or some German source, and there was a picture of Dominic Cahoon at the airport with his hockey sticks and the Sawyer's equipment bag, and it was all written in German. And I saw there was a German flag in there, and I'm going, oh, well, geez, he already signed with the. To play in the Deutsch League. <laughs> Wouldn't thought, be I better, unexpected. Yeah. I better go I better check this out. So I checked it out and I found another feed in English that said he was flying off to play for Germany at the World Championship. So that's why he was getting the heck out of Dodge as fast as he was. So and this was a, a tweet endorsed by the Oilers. You know, they they, they, they had yeah. the same tweet but with an English caption above it from the Oilers, wishing him good luck at the world. Well, okay, that's a little little uh uh, less uh, looking like a hostile takeover of the player. Uh, but that aside, I mean, good for him for going to play for Germany. I was half wondering if Leon would do the same thing. 
Germany's looking good over there, man. Three and zero, and I like the player. But your point about skating, like he—he's he, you know not—he's—he's not—he's occasionally quick, but I wouldn't say fast. And he's—he'll lose a foot race uh, in either direction. You know, even on the back check. If you're a diligent back checker, but the other guy has got the puck, is faster than you, then you've got a problem. And so he's, uh, uh, I don't think he'd be a bad guy to bring back as a more bottom six uh, left winger with some skill. I mean, it would be nice to have some skill that can put the puck in the net on the bottom six. And he scored, uh, what did he get, eight or nine goals this year? And, uh, uh, you know, in two thirds of a season, we got to remember, and no time on the power play. Yeah, he had nine goals. So if, Put that on 82 game seasons, 13, 14 goals, and that's decent production. But on the other hand, you got to say, well, he was playing with Drysaitel and a little bit with McDavid. You should get some goals, and he did, but he didn't sort of exceed expectations. It's funny because Tyler Annis, and we can talk about Annis now because I'm just kind of yeah. segueing there. Tyler, no. I don't think Tyler Annis is a more effective player than Dominic Cahoon, but Tyler Annis mm-hmm. looks better. Like he just looks faster and quicker and he's he's more dramatic with the puck. The results aren't any better than Cahoon's. I actually think Cahoon's results are better than Ennis's. Cahoon's a much better positional defensive player, which is kind of an underrated thing with wingers. Something you don't necessarily notice. But Ennis is the, was the most likely winger in the regular season to be out of position on a great A chance against. You know, he he did fine in the playoffs. Um, Ennis did, but Cahoon actually, you know, Cahoon actually made a couple plays to create great A scoring chances. He made a great pass to Cuckoo. I think it was in game three, if I'm not mistaken, where Cuckoo had a great shot. Uh, Cahoon passed it cross seam, um, shredded it through the, the, uh, Uh, offensive mm -hmm. zone. So Cahoon is, has that. So I'm with you. If he, if he, if he comes back in that role, kind of is in the, in the Ennis role, if he takes the Mm -hmm. Ennis role on the team next year. I mm-hmm. think that would be the proper role for him, and I, I, I think that would be a, not a bad idea. I'm okay with that. I don't think and he helped his cause in the playoffs, so he, I mean, he was taken he out of the game. He got benched, mm-hmm. so the coach gave his opinion in no uncertain terms. Well, Ennis played uh, 30 games, and he had three goals, so that's an eight-goal pace, you know. And and Ennis actually made a slightly higher cap hit, one million to I think 975. So let's call it a wash for Cahoon. But if you get ask me which of those two would you like to have back next year, I think I would pick Cahoon. He's younger, mm-hmm. and and I don't. I think they will probably. My guess is move on from Ennis. I mean, mm-hmm. if they signed Ennis again, I wouldn't be losing my mind either. I think mm-hmm. he's a he's a good player, uh, but I also think he's probably someone at this point in his career who would do a lot better in Europe, and um, it's it's probably that time in his career for that. <sighs> that uh, that kind of move. He, he is a little flashier. But I noticed that, you know, he, he did some tricky moves and stuff, but nothing that ever seemed to get him through anywhere closer to the net. You know, somewhere <laughs> around the periphery and you beat some guy one-on-one, but you're still on the periphery. Yeah. Well, what have you done, really? And, you know, he does have some nice flashy moves. He's an entertaining player. Uh, and, you know, not a bad depth player, but uh, we had him this year as not a bad depth player, and he got three goals in 30 games, and he got waived twice, and he spent a lot of time on the taxi squad, and he's very much at the marginal, uh, you know, uh, I won't call it entry-level, replacement-level player, and I mean, 
in reality, that's what the taxi squad guys did all year long, was they replaced other guys on the roster and they just cycled through. And there was not too many of them that sort of went from taxi squad status to full-time, have to have them in the lineup every game status over the course of the season. And Ennis certainly didn't do that. I'm going to bring up one player now who I think really did increase his stock and his chance mm-hmm. of getting signed next year, Devin Shore. And mm-hmm. it's really just based on the uh, f- the final game and the final f- few p- three or four periods of that game, which included periods in overtime. He just kept getting stronger and stronger. He's a big guy. He's a fast guy. He can kill penalties okay. Uh, I, I think he's um, not great at it, but I think he's okay at it. Um, and he maybe he can learn. He's a physical player. He he, got, he came close to scoring in overtime. He barged in there and, and drove a hard shot that just missed the net. Um, he got a breakaway that Hellebuck made a great poke check on in, in overtime. He looked like someone who was going to score. And that kind of impression, I think, goes makes a, makes a big impression on the coach. It's why Tippett was going to him, along with his size and speed. So I, I, I think Devin Shore has earned another contract um, based on his regular season play too, where he worked his way up from, from kind of a, was he, um, just on a tryout when he got here, a PTO? Yeah, he was PTO yeah. and they signed him to NHL minimum. Same, same kind of trajectory as Alex Chase on two years ago, where he came to camp, sort of established NHL player, a bit, a bit of a known commodity, has a half decent chance of making it and he made it. And now does he do the next step, Alex Chase on, they signed him to a, to a $2 million a year extension. I would think much better chance they sign him to a one-year extension still near the NHL minimum. Maybe yeah, so race. of the three, Ennis, Cahoon, and Shore, I, um, I think Shore is probably the best bet to get a new contract. With uh, Cahoon, mm-hmm. Cahoon may well. They'd have to see, I think, what else is on the market too before. But I, I could see them signing Shore just because he's a solid bottom six winger at this point and can fill in at center. And... Um, He'll yeah, get, he can get, fill in at center, although uh, not without not risk. Really. Yeah, <laughs> not really. He's not. A, he doesn't. His defensive reads aren't great because he no, he's an energy true. player, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets going, and then he d- forgets who he's supposed to cover. He doesn't cover the right guy in the defensive slot or on the back check. Yeah, on the coverage. Uh, but he 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 does. You know, he does bring energy. He does hit. He's bigger than you think. And when he was on that line with Archibald and and Kara. All three of them would bring it on the physical side, and that was kind of the identity of that line. But his uh, his fancy stats are not good, Devin Shore. Like, he got crushed in shot shares below 40%. And that's not good no matter who you're lining up with and against. When you get below 40%, you're in the, in the you know... It's very hard to win that game. You, you have to be shooting 50% higher than the other team to break even on the scoreboard. You're sending shooting percentage has to be significantly like 1.5 what the other team has to break even at a 40% shot share and that's you know that's starting to become mathematically grim when you're down there for the line like it's hard to separate out who who might be driving well, that or and what the, what, the, what the level of competition is that for the season Bruce yeah. Or for the playoffs. Oh, for yeah, the season. I'm, I'm a par- yeah, I'm Puck IQ, which does have the season, and they have against yeah. elite competition, 37%, middle competition, 38%, uh, bottom line, bottom six competition, 
So no matter who he was playing against, the Oilers were getting worked on the shot clock. So that's, uh, you know, from analytical perspective, that's a big red flag. Yeah, so some people will will put a lot of stock in that and others will put less. I don't know how much Oilers management will put in stock. We'll Probably put in. not a lot because they haven't paid a whole lot of attention to analytics, David. And mm-hmm. it's hurt them. Well, if you, we, if you, we, if you look around the league now at the top teams, the top teams have top-notch analytics departments and the Oilers have one guy that's listed and apparently he has other duties besides that. So they're, they're a little bit uh, behind in that... Uh, where they were once uh, at least trying to be uh, um, uh, a trailblazer, but it's not really developed within the organization. Uh, Not to my satisfaction as an analytics fan and an Oilers fan, I'd like to see them doing a whole lot more of it. Yeah, you know, I'm not a big fan of on-ice analytics, so I guess I have have a different take than you. If they, they may be subscribing to services which do different analytics that actually dig it, review video tape, dig into that they may be getting you know outstanding information from outside the club it'd be good to have someone in the club who interprets that if they were just to hire another person who's a big fan of on ice analytics they'd say don't sign devon shore and i'm not sure that's the right decision i don't how's I don't, the scoring chances i haven't looked at him specifically for through the year they were kind yeah. of they were they were bottom let me just see if i can find it really quickly bruce they were kind of not great they were Meh. okay Meh. yeah <laughs> you know, but that's typical of, of bottom, bottom sixers. Wingers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bottom yeah. sixers. What do you, like, what are we hoping for here? Let me just have a look. Uh, shots final, goals final, grade A chances final. Oh, yeah. So he, not that good, actually, mm-hmm. uh, according to our work either. He's just, uh, he was, he was, he's below. So of the bottom, so, so for the wingers, it starts off with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Plus 1.1 grade A chance against per game, excuse me. Plus 1.1 grade A chance per game. Pulley plus 1.1. Yamamoto plus 1.1 grade A chance per game. Chase on plus one grade A chance per game. Cahoon plus plus, uh, 0.9. James Neal plus 0.8. Josh Archibald Archibald plus 0.5. Tyler Ennis plus 0.5. Zach Cassian plus 0.4 grade A chances a game. Devin Shore plus 0.3 grade A chances a game. And Kyle Torres um, plus 0.1 grade A chances this a game. This is a plus. <laughs> so, so he's right down there with Torres. So maybe, yeah. so, so maybe I'm putting too much. Here's, here's the, uh, here, I'm going to criticize myself. I, I'm putting probably a little too much weight in the playoffs here mm-hmm. uh in terms of well, he, did, he did play well last night for sure and, and, he, and he's done yeah done okay on the penalty kill and the penalty kill unit did better in the second half of the season when shore was a regular on the team and on the penalty kill and that that had some way i mean at least bears further analysis but uh he by eye he was a pretty decent penalty killer and he is um uh he was a good signing like for this year, for the way things are set up, bringing in an NHLer with like 280 games, I think he had in his four years, and bringing him in at the NHL PTO, give him a look, signing him, uh, clearing him through the league, and bringing him in off the taxi squad, he was perfect for that. Like a 12, 13, 14, I got no problem with that guy in that position. Yeah. According to our analytics, they shouldn't sign him. Mm-hmm. So it, it it aligns with the on-ice analytics. So I, mm-hmm. I, I will... Uh, uh, say that and 
and and I think that you know if you're being hard headed about it, you're gonna you're gonna put some weight in that. So that said, I do think is I went up though after based on the playoffs though definitely because here I was ready to give him a contract. October second thought I'd be backing off that a little bit and thinking hard about who else is out there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, look, ar- look around. What that where he around. slots in, where he slots in is in a 12, 13, 14. You know, yeah. he's Patrick Russell with maybe a little more NHL experience. But if you're looking for like a third line setter or third line winger, Cahoon might be a much better bet yeah. than Agreed. if you want to win games than Devin Shore, even though Devin Shore might be fit your idea of a third liner better than you know, mm-hmm. slow Cahoon, uh, fast, big, fast Devin Shore. It's kind of like the seen him good player versus the, the player who stacks up better by the numbers. All right, let's go on to James Neal, Bruce. Uh, mm-hmm. He also got benched. What did he play? Just two, two games. I think two he games. played two games. Mm-hmm. He looked okay. Bruce, I think um, he didn't help his cause at all. Um, very much. It's about the same. And I, th- I, they're going to be tempted to buy out James Neal. I think this, uh, this summer. I don't know. It's we're spending Daryl Cates's money here. Maybe he doesn't want to spend that money. Um, but, uh, does the well, owner, does it work out where the, we've had this discussion before. Does the owner in the end, if he buys someone out, he does pay more because if he's spending to the cap every year and he buys someone out, out, he has to pay that buyout money and yeah. then he can pay more money to the cap. So he, he does spend more if he buys somebody out. In well, real my calculations, dollar. it's a wash. Are you sure? Well, my calculations say I'm sure. Okay. And th- and that is, you know, if they, if he was to buy out James Neal, yeah. And let's for simplicity, let's change five point five and five point seven five and call it six million dollars. So they would pay him instead of six million for each of the next two years, they'd pay him two million for each of the next four years. Right, so they're saving four million dollars. They would open up four million in cap space for the first two years, but then they would lose two million in cap space for the next two years. So that's eight minus four. So they'd only have four million in extra cap space, which is actually the amount less that they have to pay Neil when they're buying him out. So it's just redistributing, and it's you know you're saving a third of his ultimate contract cost. And you're opening up two thirds of it in the immediate short term in cap space, but you have to pay a penalty down the road. And uh, to me, it all washes out. I mean, there may be, there may be a crude interest or some damn thing that you know, if the cap salary cap was actually changing. It would uh, be as a percentage of cap it might be a different advantage, but the salary cap ain't going anywhere. And that so contract you... needs to go somewhere <laughs> because yeah. it is not good. They're paying way, way too much for what they're getting out of that player. Your calculation strikes me as correct, and mm-hmm. uh, the only the only thing that you're facing then is the opportunity cost of the several million dollars which you're spending now, as opposed to spending in money in the future, which is in business um, something that's considered. But other than that, you're yep. right. You, you can only spend to the cap, and um, you can't spend over it. But we know what it's like paying out the tails of these buyouts. I mean, we we're still paying for Benoit Pouliot this year, for God's uh, sake. And he left in 2017. So As bad as they was, he was, they should have suffered through another year of him, I think. Yeah, probably. And they did suffer through the second year of uh, James Neal, but I have an idea they're not about to suffer through third and a fourth, that they're going to come to some kind of re- resolution, either a deal with Seattle or 
buyout. That's sort of the two likely things. I'd be surprised. Yeah, me too. Back. Me too. Uh, Josh Archibald. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on Josh Archibald? Did he increase his value or decrease it in the playoffs? His value took a giant nosedive with that one single incident that uh, produced a costly uh, penalty for the team and a costly suspension for Archibald himself, which kept him out of the last game of the season. He must have been dying in the press box yesterday. I can only imagine, and I feel for him. Like, he has a a high, you know, a very intense team-oriented player, but he crossed the line there. And, uh, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances. It was a running feud, but he... uh, uh, you know, he got called out and he got, you know, the game suspension. I thought it was slightly harsh, but, you know, I mean, DeMello need McDavid. And he didn't even get a two-minute penalty, let alone a suspension. But anyway, uh, that is um, uh, the fact that he hurt his stock a little bit in the longer run. He's, uh, Dave Tippett loves the guy and he's got a job here for, He's one more year on his contract at $1.5 million. And, you know, he's had a, Dave Tippett's had a role carved out for this guy since the day he arrived. And he's been doing it. Penalty killing, uh, grinding bottom six winger, take the body, make the other guys pay the physical price and put him out late in games to defend leads. And he's done all those things since he's been here. And, uh, he did the same thing as last year in Arizona. Like he, he was a, he was this player before he ever got here. That's why when they did sign him, I thought that's unbelievable. They got him at that price because he does all these things. Team speed was a problem. Remember when they got him? Team speed wasn't a problem. Uh, team aggressiveness was a bit of a problem, and penalty killing was a huge problem. They finished thirtieth in the league uh, the year before and went all the way up to second last year under Tippett. And with guys like Josh Archibald entering the mix, and so he's you know he's got his role on the team, and he can he's the one right winger who is comfortable flipping over to the left side, which proved to be quite valuable at times this year because they often dressed five right wingers. I've often felt in the past for about a year and a half that Tippett overrated him as a player, and mm-hmm. and I never liked him when he was moved up to play with McDavid. I didn't think that worked, and I think the numbers said it didn't work. Um, but as this year went on, I started to like this player more and more. Um, there's just no denying the, 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 his work ethic and his hitting it's, uh, he hits to hurt and he hurts player. He hurts opposing players. He's, he's very aggressive and he just became more assertive. I thought on the attack, more effective on the attack, going to the net with the intent to score. And I noticed the same player in the playoffs, I actually don't think that the, the his value with Tippett was harmed very much um, by that incident, right. maybe a little bit. But it was, as I've made I've made this point before, it was a it was a you want Josh Archibald to play with aggression, and you mm-hmm. wanted to play at at the edge. And sometimes when when that's happening, you're going to go over the edge. If you criticize mm-hmm. and come down on a player who goes over the over the edge now and then, mm-hmm. I don't think coaches do that. Because they realize that's that's counterproductive. We need him at the edge. We need he'll he'll realize he screwed up. Probably don't even have to. You don't have to say anything. Oh. No one's. He he knows and he's a response. He, you know. So 
I don't think it's affected his value, and I think he's definitely back. And I think I'm glad he's back. He's he's a he's a very useful role player on the Edmonton Oilers. He's a fast skater, and he's starting to make better plays with the puck. I just noticed. Maybe I'm kidding myself, but I thought his passing and shooting looked better in the in the final 15, 20 games of the year. He just seemed to be really getting it as an NHL attacker all of a sudden. So, um, I don't I don't have high hopes of a 20 goal season for from him, but I maybe a 10 or 15 He's goal had season. A couple of 10 goal seasons, including last year. His, his last year in, in Arizona and his first year here were statistically very similar, and they were both around 10 or 12 goals and 10 or 12 assists, you know, or at least at that rate. And uh, he's um, uh, he's here here to stay. He's like a torpedo out there, right? Eh? And, and uh, if you want to have some physicality in your lineup somewhere, I mean, you need to have some of it. And it doesn't all have to be big bruising guys. It doesn't have to be big Bobby Clobber or your guy. But it's uh, it's uh, you know you want you want guys that don't give an inch. And Josh Archibald is that guy. Yeah, uh, we both like him. It sounds like. Well, I like him in his role, and he, you know there is a role for a player, a couple of players. They don't all twelve have to be like that, but they can't. None of them be like that. You got to have guys who do these certain jobs, and Josh Archibald does several of those things. It's interesting, just to go back to Shore for a second. You know, mm-hmm. we know that the Oilers have a whole. They need a. They need a center who can win faceoffs in a bottom kind of role, bottom line role, and mm-hmm. that's the job Shore could lose to that signing. Because they could bring Haas back as a winger or or as a center, but they could also bring it and they could bring all the centers back essentially and McLeod, and then but also bring in another guy who can play the wing and center, but who can win some faceoffs at center, mm-hmm. and that's where Devin Shore may lose out. Uh, here we go, Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian, Bruce. I'll start it off. He I think his value went up because of the playoffs. He started mm-hmm. out um, injured coming back. He was really weak in the first couple of games. He didn't look involved at all. But in the final two games, he was much better. Puck protecting, hitting, making plays, looking like an NHL top nine winger. Um, he's certainly paid like one. They So he's going to, he's not going anywhere. I, I could see the orders not protecting him, him in, in the expansion draft, maybe hoping. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you need tough guys. You need tough players. And if he and if he can play, he's he's probably worth his contract. He's a he's a he's a very difficult player to judge because you do need having that fierce guy in the lineup. I think does is comforting. <laughs> Just imagine if you're lining up for a faceoff and you look over on your wing and there's Zach Cassian as your wingman. Yeah. He's opposing you. <laughs> if you're and you're or you're opposing him, you imagine yourself opposing him. I imagine yeah. he's my line mate. I'd be thinking, okay. all right, all right. <laughs> Because, because, and that, and that can matter, and it, we we see mm-hmm. that it matters in the playoffs. The way the stupid playoffs are called, where someone, an analytics person in Toronto, I think her name is Rachel Dewar, mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. Watched all four games, and she counted forty fouls against Connor McDavid, without one penalty, Bruce. Yeah. So this is where Cassian can can help a little bit. I mean, Cassian was on the ice, and this still happened, but he wasn't playing with McDavid, of course, but. Having that big, tough physical player can make a difference in the playoffs, and he, especially if he can play a bit of hockey. And Zach Cassian can when he's when he's bringing his game and when he's focused. Yeah. So we saw that so little this year that it's not hard yeah. to raise his value. Yeah, that's that's how I see it. He raised his value. I I would argue that uh, uh, games three and four against Winnipeg were very possibly his two best games of the entire season. Yes, and we finally saw that player 
or at least some some resemblance to the player that somehow convinced the Oilers to sign him to a four-year extension at that at that pricey contract, which he delivered very little value since signing that contract, but he did deliver value in this series. I thought he was good in those last two games, and particularly game three. Based on his scoring chance numbers from the season, I, you, you wouldn't have him back as a two-way hockey player. Yeah. I mean, he's down there with Ennis and Shore just ahead of Turris. So right. he's in that category of players. You just don't cut it anymore mm-hmm. as NHLers, unless they have some outstandingly right. special skill. And does Cassian have that? He didn't even show well, that in the regular season. Yeah. That's where if I'm his line mate and I'm looking over and seeing him, I'm thinking, I hope I've got my poke check and stick because I'm going to be cleaning up some defensive, defensive. issues. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right, Bruce. Okay, Alex Chason, did he raise mm-hmm. his value or lower his value? In the playoffs? Yeah. Uh, I think he, he overall probably lowered it a bit. And uh, I'm a fan of Chason, as you know, and I've defended him more than once in the past. And he did deliver a beauty power play goal in his last game that put orders ahead 3-2, where he did a real nice job cleaning up a rebound around and stick handling it around and actually deking and depositing on uh, big Connor Hellebuck to put the orders ahead 3-2. So that's going to be my lasting uh, memory of Alex Chason as an oiler, but I have an idea that he's going to uh, disappear into the sunset. I mean, they... They paid him, and they paid him to do a couple of roles for him. But in the overtime, he never even saw the ice. And, you know, 60 minutes or, you know, basically the last 60 minutes of the game. I think he had one shift halfway through the third period, and that was it. And, of course, they didn't get any power plays in overtime, so there wasn't an opportunity to to use him on the specialty unit. But uh, uh, when you're not in the top nine and you've got other guys like, you know, Devin Shore playing ahead of you uh that maybe gives an indication of where you stand in the coach's big scheme of things at least at that crucial moment so i, I like the player i think he has uses uh i'd like him a lot more at a significantly lower cap hit um but i'm not in that camp that says he was grossly overpaid and that that contract was a ridiculous mistake by uh, uh by ken holland i don't feel that at all but uh he's two years older he's lived out that contract and to me he's somewhere in between the 650,000 he played for in his first year as northern when he scored 22 goals and was great value and what he's been getting the two years since i think if you averaged out the three years they got value out of this player oh i i agree with that he he is the underrated aspect of his game the obvious thing that he does well is hard plays around the net especially on the power play mm-hmm. the underrated aspect is, is his defensive play he was he mm-hmm. was by far the best defensive winger according to limiting grade a chances he's always covering he's covering the point he covers his man he back checks hard he wins board battles he does all the things that a defensive winger is supposed to do and he did it better by quite a by quite a bit uh, than any other Oilers winger at even strength this year. And in the playoffs, he didn't make one mistake on a grade A chance against. So he's a very safe player to have on the ice. And um, so it's, there's a lot of juggling because I think they're going to keep some of these guys, you know, between Haas, Chase on Cahoon, Shore, they might keep two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say yeah. maybe even three, but they're not going to keep all of them. So there, it's just, 
who else do they get and where do these other guys fit in? With If Neil goes, for instance, they might think, geez, uh, he, he was the other guy that we counted on the power play. Mm-hmm. We can count on Pulley RV, but it would be good to have Chase on too as the backup plan. Mm-hmm. And because we know he's freaking outstanding at that role. Mm-hmm. So um, if he's willing to take, um, you know, like $800,000, dollars big haircut, mm-hmm. $800,000, $900,000 a year to be paid as a fourth liner um, and stick with this team. Mm-hmm. And so then they're, they're, they're balancing what he has compared to Shore, who's leakier on, um, on defense, right. but is a penalty kill specialist, not at the same level as Chase on a power play guy. And then against mm-hmm. Haas, who's this, we'll get to as a peculiar and interesting player. Right. All right. We, I think we've done the wingers and now it's time to move on to the centers, Bruce. So, um, just as a general comment, I think the centers played very well, uh, in the playoffs, I don't think, except for, you know, the rookie Ryan McLeod, I think he was a bit overwhelmed personally by the situation. He played very well in the regular season. He was good in the regular season. He he opened mm-hmm. my eyes up. Yep. Big, fast player. Not so much in the playoffs. I think he faded into the woodwork and he his lack of physical play was yeah. noticeable. That you was. know, he had to barge in there and win those pucks and he didn't. That's, that's, that's what's expected. That's what he's going to need to do. He was solid enough solid-ish defensively, but um, yeah, he just wasn't up to that level of play quite yet, but he's only, what, 21, so let's let's give him a break. So I, I think he didn't do anything to help his cause, but I don't think that, I think they have a good impression of him within the organization, and he's going to get a chance to be uh, on the third or fourth line next year. Um, I don't know what his face-offs are like in the end. I don't, I don't we don't have AHL stats. He was just over 50%. I think it's like 41 versus 40. In the so regular not, not a huge sample size, but he didn't get crushed, right? He it's wasn't pretty good. Like in, he wasn't below the Cogliano line. <laughs> <laughs> so, but his his long-lasting reputation from pre-draft, all the draft reports were said he's a bit of a perimeter player. He doesn't like to, you know, to, to crash the tough areas. And you look at the playoffs, which is the hardest time of year, and he had one hit in four games, right? Like, it just doesn't seem to be part of his game. And you look at how big and fast the guy is, and you go, geez, just finish your check once in a while, man. You're going to free up some loose pucks, and you're going to get some people looking over your, your shoulders when they know you're speeding around out there if they don't know if you're going to hit them or not. And he's got... Uh, uh, you know, he, he would have that potential, but to this point, that 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 scouting report has proven to be pretty accurate. And we heard the same thing in the AHL last year. That said, in his second year in the AHL, he made a huge step forward, and he did make it to the NHL. But we're talking specifically about the playoffs, as we are here. You know, the advances cause. Well, he got he got lined up on the second line with uh, playing center with Nugent Hopkins on his wing for a couple of games, but also he was the guy that got nailed to the end of the bench in the long overtime he was one of the three that that never saw the ice so i'd say he he stabilized his case but he's you know he's clearly a project and he's competing let's face it he's competing with dylan holloway right now mm-hmm. dylan holloway was a center in college mm-hmm. every bit as big and fast if not faster than ryan mcleod but a pretty nasty body checker and physical mm-hmm. player who was really good at faceoffs in U.S. Mm-hmm. college hockey. Yeah. So um, he's coming, and I'll be, 
I'll be surprised if he's not on the team by the playoffs next year, by the second half of the season. I could see him starting in the AHL. If McLeod doesn't seize a job and and establish himself, like, you know, as a third-year pro, um, as a checking third-line center, getting that job done, which means some checking, um, Holloway's going to come on like gangbusters and take that job. So, uh, Jujar Kara. Well, here's the good news. One last thing on McLeod is that there's more than one job to be had. Yes. For a homegrown uh, grinding forward, even potentially in the bottom six. And I mean, there's many scenarios that would have both Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway on the same team. Maybe not both playing center, but both on the team. And uh, I think the Oilers are in a position where they they can almost say, we can, in our signing priorities this summer, in our budget priorities, we think we've seen enough in Ryan McLeod that we're going to try him at 3C and we're going to spend our money elsewhere at other areas of need. And, and we think we like what we've got. We've got Holloway in reserve. We think one of them is going to seize that bull by the horn. So let's go out and, you know, pay an extra million on a scoring winger for McDavid, you know. or That's exactly what they need. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, they got a few priorities and I'm not sure 3C is necessarily one of them because I think they may have internal solutions. Just like a three-right defense. They've got Evan Bouchard there. Why go out and spend a fortune on extending Tyson Berry, as a, for instance, when you got a a, 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 a a young and that's yet unproven but very talented right-shot defense with many of the same attributes. You fill that hole from internal, then you got money to solve something else. Yeah, and there is going to be these players coming up like Benson. You know, when we talk yeah. about, whether, are they going to sign Dominic Cahoon? Well, Tyler Benson's essentially the same hockey player. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe a little bit more physical, uh, maybe a little tougher on the boards, but really, really mm-hmm. similar in so many ways. Right. So, there are they going to keep Cahoon? And with with uh, with Shore, like Ryan McLeod's kind of like Devin Shore. Now Shore's more experienced, and he did show something in the playoffs here that that might give him a little zip to, to, to his name when there's, when it comes up and they're in the discussions about who's getting signed or not, but McLeod, you know, he big fast guy who can, can score a little bit and play some hockey, kill some penalties. Well, let's just go through it. Let's see, see a Devin We're, we've got Ryan is, it, it could well be the answer here. Now, Juju Kara is an interesting one, Bruce and Gaytan Haas. We can do them together. I, sure. I think that, uh, Haas raised his value. He was trusted over Kara, for instance, in the overtime. And um, he needed a boost like that because um, he'd been injured and had been sitting out. And I, I, my, my gut feeling is they won't bring him back. But I, Carol? I no uh, Haas. Oh Haas. Right. Uh, Haas, who played over, ahead of Kara in the overtime. Mm-hmm. I like Gaetan Haas. If you could have a 14th forward, if you're going to go, I'd love him as my 14th forward on a team that you could slot in at wing or at center because he's such a fantastic defensive center. But, um, and he's a, he's a strong penalty killer. He's a weak scorer though. And um, he's a weak scorer. Two and, goals, one assist, one assist the entire season. I mean, yeah. You know, 20 he's, games that he played in. He's like the little man's Leonard Petrell. And, <laughs> um, He's, uh, although, although I appreciate Gaetan Haas's game, I, I think it's a pretty He's better looking case. though. Leonard, <laughs> than Leonard Petrell? I don't know, Bruce. Uh, the, um, 
I guess it's, if you like blondes or brunettes would be the would be mm-hmm. the uh, question there. Uh, Dan Haas is um, yeah I I think I like him because for year, so many years I've watched centers f up in the defensive slot. Just mm-hmm. years and years for the decade of darkness. Not one center other than Horkoff who could get the job done in the defensive slot. You know, there might have been a few others now and then. Dreisaitl can do it now when his head's in the game. But I just, I really appreciated what he brought. So yeah. I probably really overvalue him because of that. But on the other hand, Bruce, they lost. They lost. They were losing games at the start yeah. of the year because they thought Turris could do that job. And mm-hmm. um, He was and way better they, than Turris. He was, yeah, because he, he doesn't give up anything. Yeah, he doesn't give up much. So, but he didn't step up this year. He had a chance and he didn't really step up in the second half of the regular season. And because of that, I'm skeptical he'll come back. Maybe if they decide they they don't want to bring Kara back, he'll be the, I think it's between him and Kara. And I think they'll pick Jujar Kara because Jujar Kara didn't have a great playoff. He was okay-ish, but he had a pretty good regular season when he was, when he was not hurt. And had a really good run of play, his best run of play as an oiler. Um, he's a big physical guy, which is something to say for him. So mm-hmm. I think they'll pick Kara over Haas. Yeah, I, I'm not sure Kara really helped his cause much in the playoffs. Like his no. his line, you know, was tasked with uh, with matching up against you know one of Winnipeg's top lines, and they really, you know, they they were uh, on the negative end of the spectrum, and of course. Uh, he got drilled in the face-off circle, uh, uh, including on the game-winning goal in overtime in Game 3 where he badly lost the face-off. And, uh, uh, you know, that's if you're going to play 3C or 4C, it would be nice to start out with a puck once in a while, you know? really would. And so yeah, I was talking where... to... Uh... I was talking to a former Golden Bear today about that face-off, and he was saying... Um... You just when you when you're the left when you're taking the face off on that side and you're left center you don't try to win it you just got to tie up the other guy mm-hmm. so he can't make a night uh, you know a quick feed right. and and he said Kara tried to win that face off it was the wrong tactic so uh, I'm not an expert on face offs so I don't I'm not going to venture in there but no, he sounds real he he uh, yeah I think he knew what he was talking about so yeah I don't know what I I think you have to look at Kara's health. And, um, he, he, I don't think he ever really got back to being as good as he was mm-hmm. after the second, uh, second bout of, of, is it fair to say concussion? I mean, the people there's, I think that's what it was. And, um, we'll see what happens. I, I think they'll go with Carol over Haas because of the physical aspect though. Yeah. It wasn't a concussion because he was back practicing within seven days, both times. And there's a hard and fast rule about that. So whatever the diagnosis was, whether it was official bell ringing or something, but not a concussion. But uh, and, and they they he didn't play within a week, but he was practicing within a week both times, and he did come back and play. And I think he was most effective before he uh, before he first had to deal with that issue. He had a real nice strong run of games there for for quite a while. And yeah. So he's, but he's, his contract's up. 1.2 million would be his uh, qualifying offer. And he's still, uh, I think this is right, um, still uh, RFA, Kara. He's a 2020, 
Sorry, he's a uh, he was drafted in 2012, so he's a 94. So he won't turn. He's August 94, so he won't turn 27 until after July 1st. So he's still an RFA. Could he be one of those guys that they might be afraid? He had pretty good points for 60. I wonder if he's one of those guys they might be afraid would take them to arbitration and they might back away from him in that regard. Because we saw that happen in the NHL mm-hmm. last season with a number of players. Okay, uh, moving on to McDavid and Drysaddle. I think mm-hmm. um, McDavid wasn't as good. He was much better in the regular season than he was in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the mugging was more intense in the playoffs. But I think Drysaddle was better in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. I thought Leon Dr- Drysaddle was the Oilers' best player. Him and mm-hmm. Mike Smith would be in contention for that. Uh, maybe Darnell Nurse. But I would rate Drysaddle over Nurse. I just think Drysaddle was fantastic. He's everything you want in a playoff performer. He cannot be stopped uh, by physical play. He fights through it. He he doles it out. He's nasty. Uh, scoring goals, making plays, defending. He is the total two-way package. And it came through in the playoffs. Just, I was, again, just like I was in 2017, really impressed. With McDavid, um, just such a spectacular regular season where I thought he improved his defensive play. I thought he was strong defensively, generally speaking, in the playoffs as well. I don't have a big issue with his uh, defensive play, unlike uh, Pierre Maguire. Mm-hmm. His attacking, though, was was down considerably. He was, you know, he averaged one major contribution per game, less at even strength okay. um, in the playoffs. He couldn't. He was he was unable to break through uh, in a way. That, in the way that he was in the regular season, which is pretty spectacular. But so it's the second playoffs, big playoff run in a row it happened in 2017 has happened again. Now I'm sure he's frustrated as hell by that. And I, I think it has a lot to do with the way the refs call the game in the playoffs. He's, he's constantly obstructed and um, it's, he's just, he, he's not allowed to be the offensive supernova because of the, the nature of the refereeing. It thwarts him. Mm-hmm. There's no difference in his effort. Um, I don't. I don't see any. You know, he's he's trying as hard, and he's got as much skill as ever. So, um, I'm going to say it comes down to playoff refing, Bruce. Uh, well, that's a, that's a huge part of it for sure. And I mean that that, um, uh, that sports writer you mentioned earlier from out east that counted 30 infractions by her count that she thought were you know technically penalties against 40, McDavid. Yeah. And zero were called. And same last year against Chicago. McDavid drew zero penalties. Now in eight postseason games, he's drawn zero penalties. Now, you tell me if you've seen anybody anywhere around the NHL or certainly in the in the North Division who spends a higher percentage of a game with the puck on his stick and therefore being the focal point of attention than McDavid. And then watch what happens to the guy when he hasn't doesn't have the puck on his stick, but he's trying to go get it. And he's got two or three guys in his face and, you know, taking them out along the boards, you know, screening them off, you know, running double interference picks on them. And it's just mind boggling, you know, that, uh, and of course the Oilers big weapon, uh, you know, they got the number one power play in the league. Like, you know, that's how they beat you. They, you know, they force you to foul them and then they beat you on the power play. Well, Last night they played between the start of the third period and the and the end of the game in the third overtime. The Oilers had zero power play opportunities to win that game. 
you know, the refs say, well, we don't want to win it for them by giving giving them a power play when the guy's getting tackled through the ice or Leon's getting a stick held for 20 seconds, you know, or, or uh, uh, DeMello is sticking his knee out and spinning McDavid around and high-fiving his teammates on the bench, and the refs are... And as you can tell, it's it's a sore point with me. And I think the NHL is doing a shitty job of of actually delivering on the product that they could deliver by by so um, shackling their star players. And it's not just him; it's star players around the league. You know, Patrick Kane, the dazzling dipsy doodler that has the puck on his stick all the time, he ranked 554th in the NHL for penalties drawn per 60 minutes. 554th. Patrick Kane, David was 26th, Leon was 311th or something. Like it's just ridiculous. And the guy, you know, they like they have the puck. They try and make plays. All the other teams are trying to defend them. Sometimes they trip them. Sometimes they grab them. Call it, you know. Hello, call it. If you're, you know, if the other team's going to prevent them from from you know illegally prevent them from getting chances at even strength, well, give them a chance on the power play because they earned it. Call it. Oh, hey, maybe maybe I got Sid Sixero's six Sid Sixero's comment wrong. He said so. He's saying Connor McDavid's not going to put up with this much longer. Well, maybe, maybe that's he's talking it. about the NHL. Maybe I he could be. Maybe I, like I'm honestly maybe I did get it wrong. I have to look at the context of this. That's not what the comments were suggesting. I read the comments under it. And they all thought they took the meeting of Edmonton, but maybe Sid suggested that Connor McDavid's not going to put up with the NHL much longer and the refing there, and that makes sense. So. Well, uh, the league, I mean, Dom Decision of the uh, Athletic wrote a fantastic article today about, uh, and he specifically talked about McDavid. That was his subject because he was talking about the zero penalties that he drew this year and last year. And what are the odds, just based on his regular season rates, where we also would argue that he gets far too few calls during the regular season, but in the playoffs, his rate just dove that much further that he got no no calls, like z- literally zero calls. And uh, Lecician, who is well known for not being an Oilers fan, so it wasn't just you and me being Oilers homers, whiners about the officiating. He's just calling what he sees, and he's saying the game is, you know, being, uh, you know, seriously impeded of seeing the, these guys at their best because these these third line clutch grab whack and hack, uh, or you know, third pairing defense types like say Colin Campbell used to be have free reign to do whatever. And it's because guys like Colin Campbell are running the ship down there in uh, Toronto with, or in sorry, in New York with their sensitive sensibilities of what hockey used to be back in the you know the fifties kind of thing, and they got to get a twenty first century uh, sort of bent to their to their thinking. I said to yeah. someone today. I'm not going to call Colin Campbell a dinosaur, but his best before date was 65 million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they need they need a culture change there, Bruce. It's it's the 100%. owners. It's the it's the owners. It's the GMs, but it's also Batman, who's ultimately responsible, mm-hmm. and um, and and the people he's hired. They got to fire. They got to clean them out. They got to fire all of them. They got to get rid of like 10 people. The ref, like the people running the refs, the people running player safety. The, the upper management, everyone who's involved in that part Former of the game in the goon NHL. running player safety. They've had their day, <laughs> George Paros. They've had their day. They've had their decade. They, yeah, yeah, their decades. They need to go. They need to be fired. And 100%. Gary Bettman, if Gary Bettman won't do it, he needs to be fired. 
And yeah. so that's where I'm at. I think they need, I think fans need to call for Gary Bettman to be fired. I think this is the only thing that will get the attention of the commissioner and, and uh, put pressure on him, have him fired and get in someone who's going to change this, this culture at the top, because the, this, you know, here's the thing with the size of the players, the speed of the players, the injuries are getting more intense. They, we now know about concussions, all kinds of things that we didn't know in the past. That's why they're supposedly cracking down on headshots. And they are, I think somewhat, um, they've just got to catch up with all that, but they have to just catch up with the other sports in terms of entertainment value as much mm-hmm. as anything, but with the NFL and in terms of making it an offensive league with the NBA and in terms of making it a league where the superstars shine, this is what the other, this is their formula for success in these other leagues. It's a great formula. So, so the, that's what they should sell. We're going to make more money. We're going to increase our fan base. We're all going to get a lot richer if we allow the best players to play their best. Otherwise we're just going to keep mugging along, you know, stumbling along the way we're doing and we're not going to have a big increase. So. That's the argument I would make if, if right. you know, in applying for the NHL commissioner job, I'm going to make you a lot more money by by having Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid be the stars they can be. Yeah, well, um, Jeff Follette had an excellent thread, um, uh, Toronto-based uh, guy had an excellent thread, and he was the one who provided those stats about penalties drawn for 60 minutes. And he listed the scoring leaders, and they were all, you know, 26th and 300th and whatever. And then he referenced next to that a, a list of the basketball. These are the guys that go to the free throw line the most often in basketball. Don't you know, Joel Embiid is number one. Yanis is number two. Like the big stars are the guys that are getting fouled. And the refs are calling it. They're just calling the damn rules. So, hello. You know, give, right. give, them, room to, give them room to do what they can do. Yeah. You know, like don't just... You don't have to Washington generals against them, but you can't fricking maul the guys and, and get away with it. But in the NHL and especially in the playoffs, you can, and you're encouraged to, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're overmatched on talent, it's fine. Just tackle the guy. And I don't think McDavid's any easier to hit the Gretzky was maybe Gretzky was a little bit more elusive, but I don't remember Gretzky getting mugged like this in the playoffs. And and, uh, you know, people talk about 80s hockey being big brawl and much rougher. I don't, this didn't happen to Wayne Gretzky in the 1980s. He hardly got touched. He hardly got hit. Now, it could be because policing was such a big, bigger part of the game. And everyone was so much more afraid of Messier and Semenko at that time than people are afraid of Cassie and, and Darnell Nurse right now. That could be the main explanation. Um I guess that is the explanation probably because that the policing actually worked at that time to protect some star players if they were elusive enough from getting hit constantly. But there's no policing now. They're, they're just all making, there's too much money to be made by being the third pairing defenseman in the NHL. You're just going to go and take, you're going to go and hit McDavid and then take your beating because you you can make a million dollars and it doesn't work anymore. The whole policing thing. So the league has got to police. Well, given uh, yeah, I mean, it's not even like they're necessarily hitting him to try and injure him and take him out, right? I mean, give or take Mark Giordano uh, doing what he did, you know, and, and who knows how deliberate that was. But uh, uh, they have, uh, they're just trying to take him out of the play. And he's a meal ticket. Like, he's what's selling the game. You know, you really want to go and pay $300 to go to a hockey game to watch two guys hold Connor McDavid in the corner while the play goes on somewhere else? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm over simplifying but it's it's i mean i'm not 
paying to watch gladiators run the gauntlet is not really as a fan i want i want to see the talent i want to see the skill and i you know i want to see the the I want to see the defense. I want to see the challenge that they have to go through, but it shouldn't have to be to this freaking degree that it's, uh, uh, um, you know, it's free ri- free reign to do whatever. Are you not entertained? No. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're not. <laughs> not as entertained as we could and should be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For watching this product, right? I mean, the orders, I mean, just from a financial standpoint, they got a $12.5 million a year hockey player who's drawing fans and putting people in the seats. And I mean, yeah, he's, he's scoring points, but in the playoffs, his production went down and the other teams, um, uh, you know, the, 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 they were allowed to do whatever with impunity. And so he couldn't score on the power play either. Right. So, and all that said, when we're getting back to McDavid himself, his performance in the playoffs, one thing I noticed, and I noticed again last night, I thought he was playing enough minutes that as, we got towards the end of the game, he became less effective. And in the overtime periods, like he wasn't like beating people with speed or stick handling and maybe the ice getting worse, who all, who all knows. But in the three overtimes that they played, 60 minutes and 11 seconds, so basically one extra full game of hockey, he had one shot on net. Yeah, their shifts were too long, Bruce. I just, I was just, it was, I was thinking the Oilers are going to get beat on a long McDavid dry settle shift here. They're going to get. It didn't happen, but it it could have easily happened where they get out against a more fresher group of Jets because they were staying out there for I don't know how long it was seventy eighty seconds shifts in, in as the game went on and and uh, I just yeah, thought they well, needed they, to get they off they there a little get, quicker. They did get beat in the end, and it was a McDavid turnover. Oh, that's right. Well, there you go. Uh, I don't think it was at the end. Of it wasn't shift, a long right. shift, but it was. No. It was right after the penalty kill, yeah. and that was the time where the Oilers normally send those guys on to to take it to the other team. But he couldn't uh, make the shoot in deep enough, and of course he had another seriously bad turnover on a seriously importantly bad goal against that tied game three. So yeah. you know he didn't make mistakes in coverage, but two times he coughed up the puck, which is not really what you expect. So his uh, his performance in the playoffs was a notch below regular season, which still means he's probably the best player in the league. <laughs> well, I thought he was the, the best player on the Oilers was Leon in the playoffs. Yeah. So, well, we graded Leon an eight and Connor a seven the last two games, and the star pickers in Winnipeg picked Leon in both games as one of the three stars. So obviously, some people are what their eyes are seeing and saying that you know Leon did raise his game that little bit, maybe more in the playoffs. So. Alrighty, Bruce. Well, let's leave it there for now. And I think, hope we have a podcast that is listenable and uh, yeah. not full of glitches and all those horrible things. Be full things. of so, something else. Bitches. <laughs> 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 thanks, Bruce, for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for your patience. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>